from the heart of the Forest City, focusing on the biggest stories in London, this is the Craig Needles Podcast. Now here's your host, Craig Needles. It's the Craig Needles Podcast here at ClassicRock981.com, LondonNewsToday.ca. And this week on the podcast, I wanted to talk about a case that you uh, may have heard of. It's, it's, it's generated a little bit of media coverage uh, out of St. Thomas. And it involves a police officer there. And the case in and of itself, the way that it is played out, has become something that could be somewhat precedent setting. And I want to talk with Allison and Ian Johnstone about that, who are uh, two lawyers who worked on the case. And they've been kind enough to uh, to join us here uh, on the Craig Needles podcast to talk about that. Uh, uh, Allison, Ian, thank you both so much for uh, for doing this. I, I, I We definitely appreciate the time. Thanks for this. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you for having us. Great. So, so first, just tell me, and this question is for is, is for either of you. Tell me about the circumstances and the the details of the case first, before we get into sort of the the, the legal significance of it. Just uh, this involved an off-duty police officer, involved domestic abuse. What can you tell me about the circumstances? So, just by way of background, what was happening at the time was Constable Cudney and his wife were separated. Um, they were in the in the midst of a acrimonious divorce um and at the time kathy cudney was uh residing exclusively in the home um however they they both had joint possession but she was living there exclusively with their two daughters um at the time uh that this incident occurred um there was an arrangement whereby constable cudney was to come to the home to clean the pool um at the time that he came to clean the pool Kathy was not there and she wasn't supposed to be there. Um, she, it took a little bit longer, I guess, and he decided to go inside into the home and to have a shower. While he was doing this, Kathy came home, uh, came in the house and noticed that some of the mail that was on her counter had been removed. Um, and a fact that's important in this, too, is that before he actually went in the shower, he, he was actually aware that Kathy had pulled in the driveway. So he knew she had come home, but he still decided to, you know, go, go ahead and have a shower. So she goes in the washroom and she goes through his backpack uh, to find her missing mail. He opens the, the shower curtain. He finds her with the backpack. And that's when he grabs the backpack from her and tries to separate the backpack and her, and he pushes her, um, and she fell to the floor, and it resulted in a minor injury. Um, Thereafter, she called the the police, the OPP attended. Um, They charged him with assault, and then, um, so he was charged with assault, and then eventually, what happened was they entered into a peace bond. And so the criminal charge was withdrawn. So thereafter, once the criminal proceedings were dealt with, then the service was tasked with dealing with this. So um, it was in June of 2020 when he was actually charged under the PSA. And he was charged with two counts of discreditable conduct. Um, One was for his conduct, you know, in pushing uh, and assaulting his estranged wife. And the other charge was in relation to violating the St. Thomas's policy. So those were the charges um, that were laid in June. We went to a hearing in September 2020. Um, it was just a, it was a 
very fairly quick hearing. It was two days. Um, we called one witness who was the uh, investigating officer, uh, Staff Sergeant Steve Bogart. And basically all we did, we, we called him and he entered his investigation report as well as all the documents that um, related to the criminal matter. So from the OPP, and that was it. Um, Cassie didn't want to participate. And so we didn't have, we weren't able to call her. Um, so, so Craig, it's uh, really essentially to, it was, you know, the idea of not to re, you know, try not to re-victimize the victim by having her come to testify. Right. And we asked this trial without her. And we could have summoned her too, but we, we chose not to. But you didn't want to do that for the purposes of, as, as Ian said, re-victimizing the victim, right? Correct. Yeah. So you didn't do that. And yet what the part of this that could be different going forward and could change some things going forward and could be precedent setting is the fact that you didn't do that and were still able to make your case, right? That's correct. Yeah. Under the Police Service Act, I also made mention of the PSA. So the, 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 the piece of legislation that governs the conduct of police officers under the Police Service Act, there it's permissible uh, to allow uh, some like hearsay evidence or other evidence that might not be uh, admissible in other courts. Uh, the hearing officer has the ability to allow that evidence in, and he did. And he allowed evidence, uh, of, you know, sort of the, the the peace bond and the restriction is based on the fact that the officer had entered into this peace bond, and, you know, assuming some liability for it, uh, he, he, you know, and accepted the, the evidence itself. And so, you know, although the counsel on the other side said, you know, this is inappropriate because you're not hearing from the, the victim. We we move forward, and, and he believed the case, and it was then ultimately appealed to the Ontario Civilian Police Commission that reviews all police conduct in these hearings, and then ultimately it was uh, thereafter appealed to the Ontario Divisional Court. And the Ontario Divisional Court upheld the uh, the, the ruling. And so that means that in a similar situation where someone may have been the victim of a domestic assault and they don't want to testify uh, or they don't want to go to court or whatever it happens to be. Uh, in, in, in cases like this one involving a police officer, they may not have to, I suppose, right? In a discipline proceeding, no, that's correct. That's correct. It, it's a, there's a press report now. Um, also, also uh, we recently did, uh, Alf and I were prosecutors on the case for DeFonte Miller trial in Toronto. Uh, where the officers were also convicted, and uh, we utilized really just the transcripts from the court proceedings, etc. We didn't call any witnesses. We did something similar there as well, and ultimately those officers have all been convicted as well. Yes, and and they were convicted in, in, in criminal court, not just a violation of the Police Services Act. Correct. Yeah, they, they were. But in the criminal court, the 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 uh, witnesses were had to be called and testified. In the Police Service Act matter, we we actually were able to seek their convictions as well without that. So this is it, it's a bit groundbreaking, yes. I, I don't know if it's ever been done before. I've never heard of a case where it's ever been done. Yeah, and, and you know what I, I think people are going to take away from this? And there's this perception out there, and I know there are people that work with, with London Police and other police services that download this podcast that are going to get mad at me for saying this, but I'm going to say it. There's a perception out there that when police officers are involved in the legal system, be it uh, professional standards conversation, be it criminal, whatever it happens to be, that they get a, a, an easy ride relative to members of the public. Uh, this is not necessarily changing things as far as how it'll go from a criminal perspective, but as far as what may occur 
professionally and violations of professional standards, this is something that could be a significant change and and perhaps provide more accountability, right? It, absolutely. It's definitely going to uh, more accountability. I mean, this is the first time it's ever been done. So certainly in domestic situations, yeah, I mean, officers will be held accountable for their, either their on-duty conduct or off-duty. And, you know, I think that is a misconception that uh, police officers uh, – you know, somehow are able to thwart the system because they are police officers. I mean, I was a police officer um, before I became a lawyer, and sort of 40 years ago, I almost started 40 years ago, and, and, and that's really not the case. As, as I've been okay. doing these cases for the last 25 years, and that's really not the case at all. I think it's just a, a, a misperception by the public. Yeah, and it's something that, you know, when you hear about a case where, you know, the public – it doesn't go the way that you think it might, and there's a police officer involved. That's that's the the natural way for the public to go with it. Is oh, this person got off of this charge or got off of that charge because they were a police officer or whatever it happens to be. And I I understand that that may not necessarily come up in the numbers necessarily. No, I know, and I think what people don't understand too is that there's a tremendous amount of oversight with police officers in Ontario. In fact. You have the Special Investigations Unit, the Office of the Independent Police Review Director, the Ontario Civilian Police Commission. You've got, uh, you know, the, the inquiries, public inquiries and the Public Inquiries Act. You, you know, so you've got the Police Services Board that oversee. You have the Chief of Police that all oversees the officers. So there's a tremendous amount of oversight for police officers in Ontario. In fact, I don't know of a jurisdiction that has more uh, oversight for police in Ontario. No, that's fair. That's uh, that's a good thing to note. So, uh, as we move forward with these uh, types of cases and these types of uh, of conversations, this this is a question for either of you. Uh, if another lawyer were to say, "Okay, tell me about this case," or "Tell me about uh, how you're able to do this," what advice would you have for someone who might be in a similar situation, who has a victim who may not want to testify, just as they continue to to progress through the system when it comes to professional standards? Well, I think you have to argue the issue of, uh, you know, the allowing the information in. So, you know, um, the, the hearing officer has the discretion to allow certain information. And I think, you know, most lawyers, uh, you know, and we were lucky, fortunate enough that the chief at the time, St. Thomas, had the intestinal fortitude to prevail, to move forward with uh, actually doing this, despite the fact that we didn't have uh, the victim or the witness to come to testify. Uh, he was courageous enough to move forward and say, we're going to hold the officer accountable. Uh, the, the new chief that's in there, Mark Rothkamp, is, uh, again, uh, he, he's not going to deviate from how uh, the previous chief uh, conducted himself, very professional, and was going to hold himself accountable. And then they, they gave me the green light to at least to try it. And we, we move failed. Uh, we move forward on it. We were, were successful. And now that's what but I think. Not every, not every chief. I can, I can tell you this. That I don't know every chief would, uh, you know, it's not everybody would, would have that sort of view to go ahead with the prosecution, um, Craig, because we, you know, they, it's, it's a bit odd to, to go forward without the victim. It's difficult. Uh, like we said, it's, uh, it's going to make things more challenging, but you're, you're uh, in, in, in this particular case, uh, uh, up to the challenge. We're, I, I don't know if I'm going to say, are, were you surprised you won? But uh, did you think it was going to be a spot where eventually you might run into a brick wall without uh, the person who was the complainant sort of being part of your case? 
Oh, yeah. I mean, that crossed our minds. I mean, you know, with, with that, when we got to that juncture and uh, we weren't going to have somebody come and testify, we, we made the decision also not to re-victimize her and, and uh, we, we moved forward with it because, you know, uh, you know, Allison's my daughter. I, yep. you know, I think it's a father a lawyer and a father to my co-counsel it's uh, i would you know if i was if i had something that happened to her uh, god forbid I, I would want the prosecutor to to take take the challenge on you know have have the courage uh, to try it yeah and you did and 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 credit to you both and um and and, and credit to uh chief Roskamp and st thomas as well is there is there anything else uh ian or allison that you wanted to add or thought was uh thought was important about this before we uh, before we wrap up our conversation here? No, I think, you know, we we did get some great insight. I'll tell you, we had uh, Megan Walker, um, mm-hmm. who uh, sort of uh, quite well-known in the London community. Yeah. And we, I, I, we, I know Megan quite well. She and I have known each other for 15 years. Okay, well, she, she was actually very insightful. Uh, you know, we consulted with her, and uh, she gave us some great insight about the victimization of women, and uh, we'd like to thank her. I mean, she was uh, instrumental in, uh, in, in in our assistance. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. Mean, and she's, she's, she's all a, a great advocate, yes. Yeah, she's done a great amount of work for uh, women's groups and, and uh, you know, in, in the victimization of women. So she was uh, she, she was gracious enough to also provide us a report that we, we tried at least utilizing, and, and it gave us a different perspective of looking at this, so... No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad that you got that perspective, and I, uh, I, I appreciate the both of you, uh, uh, the both of you coming on and talking about this. Thus, uh, Allison, anything you want to add before we uh, wrap up our chat here? Um, one other thing that I think is important, um, that's sort of unrelated to mm-hmm. um, hearsay evidence in the victim, is one of the important things that also came out of the divisional court's decision is a ruling with respect to the uh, what's known as the Kynapple principle. And the Kynapple principle is really a criminal law concept um, that precludes multiple, multiple convictions based on uh, the same criminal act. And this is something that we see defense lawyers um, arguing a lot in our PSA case. So for example, in this case, the, um, the lawyer on the other side tried to argue that because we were we had two charges were discreditable, so they were the same charges um, that, you know, you know, we shouldn't be able to, the hearing officer shouldn't be able to convict the officer on two charges that were the exact same. Um, we argued successfully that the Kynapple rule didn't apply because while they were the same charges, there were different supporting facts, and we were successful on that um, before the hearing officer as well as before the OCPC, and then Uh, Again, when it came to divisional court, what the divisional court said, which is really significant, is that actually pineapple is a criminal law concept and it doesn't apply to PSA hearings. So this will be really helpful um, for us moving forward as well. So essentially, Greg, the the officer is charged with two counts of discreditable. The facts are a little bit different. And then in the criminal courts, they could actually argue and say, well, that's, you know, pineapple principle applies. You can only sentence the off the per individual on the one count. It's really the same thing. But the divisional court said, no, no, um, they are two separate counts. And, and that kind of principle, although the police disciplinary hearings have been utilizing this principle and sort of merging the counts or only sentencing on maybe one count of the same set of facts, they're saying that's improper. You should do exactly what this hearing officer did 
uh, and separate them. And in fact, the Kynable principle does not apply. So it's, it's a very interesting, they, they imported, a lot of times these criminal law uh, concepts have been imported into these police labor disciplinary proceedings. And, and they basically are saying that that's not, not proper. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I think that anything that we can find, uh, you know, in, in, increase accountability and and have the system work better, I think is is something that we should be striving for and trying to accomplish. I, I, I'm going to ask because I know that people listening to this are going to want to know uh, what's Constable Cudney's current status with St. Thomas Police. Uh, he's he's uh, he was demoted. He was mm-hmm. demoted to fourth class constable. Which is a significant penalty. Significant penalty. He went from first class to fourth class. It's a, it's a significant cut in pay. Yeah, and that's uh, that's big from the perspective of uh, it takes a while to work up, you know, to first class constable, obviously. And, and Constable Cudney's been with St. Thomas Police, I believe, for more than 20 years, if I recall correctly. Uh, so that's essentially turning back time on somebody. That's, that's, that's a pretty significant punishment for what's happened here. It's almost like he just started his career over again. Right. What it does. Yeah. Back to the same, uh, the same pay you get if you're just starting out. And is he currently working as a police officer? Or is he on leave right now? I, I, I don't know what his actual status is right now. I haven't okay. called the service. Ah, fair enough, fair enough. But uh, uh, you know, you're aware of the punishment because that was kind of the point of what we were doing here. And I think that that uh, is is a somewhat significant one. So uh, I think that that's uh, that that's an outcome that's uh, that's that's certainly notable. Well, I want to thank you both, uh, uh, Allison and Ian, for, uh, for for doing this with us and 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 having a conversation about this case. It's a it's a significant one. And I know people are going to want to uh, going to want to hear more about it. So thank you so much for doing this, and uh, I'm glad that you could spend a few minutes with us. Thank you very much. Thank you for having us. That's Ian and Allison Johnstone here on the Craig Needles podcast. And uh, you may have been looking for the roundtable. Uh, I'm technically off this week, even though I'm doing this on Friday morning, but I'm going to be heading out of the city as soon as I wrap up. So I'm away this week. So uh, there uh, uh, wasn't time for roundtable. That's okay. That's okay. We will get back to it next week. And lots of interesting stuff coming up next week. You heard the conversation that I had with, uh, with Kevin Dick in City of London about the health and homelessness uh, story. And the report going to city staff uh, from city staff to counselors at SPPC on Monday. We're going to talk about that next week on the podcast, and we're going to talk about that on the roundtable as well. So hopefully you can tune in for the Friday roundtable next week here on the Craig Needles podcast, which of course you can find at classicrock981.com, londonnewstoday.ca, and wherever it is you get your podcasts. The Craig Needles podcast is a presentation of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network. 